0: to sharing cultural diversity through food. Welcome to El Paso Food Voices. Welcome. I'm Meredith Iabarca, your hostess for today's episode. El Paso Food Voices explores El Paso, Texas' food landscape by gathering food-based stories from our residents. If we are what we eat, we're committed to highlighting the food-based culture and history of the city. In this spirit, let's begin our conversation with our guests, Roman and Adriana Wilcox, co-owners of OneGrad Community, an all plant-based restaurant, and co-founders of the nonprofit Plenty for the People. Both Roman and Adriana are returning guests to El Paso Food Voices. And today we will be speaking about the concept and practice of culinary sustainability. Roman and Adriana, welcome back for those people who have not heard your stories in, in, in the past um, that we have already um, had wonderful conversations about the history of one grand community and, and the development of um, plenty for the, for the, for the people. Can you, can we begin by you first tell us a little bit about who you are so our guests can, can sort of put you in contents of what Paso's food landscape.
1: Sure. Baked, you can want me first. to go first? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm Roman and um I am the co-owner of One Grub Community and co-founder with my wife Adriana and um, we have ourselves been together for, we're going on 20 years, next March we'll be married and um, we share a life together with two beautiful daughters. We have a nine-year-old Camille and our 17-year-old Samay, which we love very much and are very proud of and I think have had a lot of influence as to um, like the choices that we've made, uh, uh, in the later years of our marriage and and in our work life. So, so like anything that comes out good, we have you have our daughters to thank because they're pretty inspiring for mm-hmm. us. Um, I myself have been cooking since 1995, so I don't even know how much time that is now. I just got stuck on saying like a certain twenty number and now. <laughs> I don't even know how long like, that. I have been
2: saying 20-something years. I think that's 26 <laughs> years.
1: Yeah, it's, I'm going on 26 years. And so um, I just turned 40, <laughs> yeah, and I started when I was 15. So, so yeah, I'm going on 26 years this year cooking. Uh, um, I got involved and kind of knew I wanted to cook my whole life, kind of just did cook my whole life and had a knack for it. And I think uh, it was one of the things in life that I received positive feedback for instantly, you know, People were always shocked, even though it was just a grilled cheese sandwich, you know, and a Campbell's tomato soup. But um, the family was always impressed, and I think from those little things onward, it just kind of inspired me to just keep um, keep my family fat and happy, <laughs> and just keep everybody eating. And and it just it just always represented a happy a happy time, um, which is good. But it could be it could be toxic too if you're not careful. And I think. Uh, my relationship with food and what I eat and why I eat and stuff has really come rooted from a very young place in me. But I'm grateful for it, uh, the good, the bad and the ugly, because it kind of formed me into a career very young. um, And a lot of people don't have that advantage. A lot of people are searching their whole lives for, for work. And I think I've come to a place where like, I'm not even identified by myself by my work anymore. It used to be like my one identifying factor, but I've done it so long now that it's just kind of flows out of like who I who I am, but I'm more identified in I feel like the human being I'm becoming and like what I'm why I'm cooking. And so it's not like what I'm doing, it's the why I'm doing. And I feel like that transition has been um really important and I think it has influenced our business. So that's me. Now you.
2: My turn. <laughs> my site's not that exciting. <laughs> Baloney. If you
1: only knew, that's a different podcast.
2: Um. So my name is Adriana Wilcox. I'm Roman's wife and business partner. Um. I am a, a part owner of One Group community, um, but a lot of my work is tied to our nonprofit profit side, um, Planting for the People. Um, I have a business background. I've always kind of sat behind a desk. And so um, this is very new and different for me to be working outdoors and gardens and working with community members. And and I love it. I have fallen in love and I don't think I'll ever go back to sitting behind the computer. Um, So I think that...
1: Except
0: for a podcast.
1: (laughs) What's that? Except Except for for a podcast, podcast. except for a
0: podcast,
1: except for a podcast podcast from you. That's (laughs) I think that's been it's (laughs) Meredith We're we're like (laughs) happily to do it. If I just can add, because my wife cannot speak on herself. um, If I could just add a thing or two, I've gotten to know her over the past 20 years and she leaves out really big blocks of and it's just who she is. of of her ability and and of her insight so basically this business um would cease to exist without her um I can I can cook a mean vegan meal um I can run a I can run a good kitchen but I can't pay a bill to save my life I can't uh stay on top of a calendar in an organization place to save my life I can't create a garden schedule which we found (laughs) out last year and and um I certainly can't write any grants, and um, so Adriana sells herself short in her this part of the business. This is a woman-owned business. She owns a large point of this business, and it's not really a, a discussed thing on paper. But like this needed to be a woman-owned business and a local business, so she owns ninety-five percent of this business, mm-hmm. and 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 it's important that people know that that know Adriana's state and claim in this place. I mean, we always said that from the beginning. I started this on my own as a food truck and uh, she saw me drowning and came in to help and like brought it up and we were able to get through it. She left a job at the city uh, to dedicate to this and she researches day and night. She tosses and turns because she can't figure certain things out um, on the daily. And all all the while, she's a mom to the girls and she's a creative. She's had to suppress a lot of her creative energy and just make it administrative right now. And so she's putting that creativity in an administrative place but this girl can draw and she can create and she can style and so there's so much more that's coming from her uh as soon as time allows for it but right now it's behind the scenes and don't you cannot let her she will sell herself short every time <laughs> so okay so now you're good. okay we will not let her do that
0: we will not let her do that well thank you thank you both for for um First of all, congratulations on your on your twentieth anniversary. Congratulations on all that you've done um, together um, with your with your family, but also for the community. So, in that in that context, um, let's let's go into the topic that I would like to um, learn from you, and that is the topic of culinary sustainability in the world of food. Uh, in the in the world of food, um, at, at all levels, uh, practice and, and academic, the the topic of sustainability has been quite has developed quite a currency in the last decade or so. So um, what I would like to start with is by hearing your definition of what you take this this notion of culinary sustainability to mean um, in terms of intention, values, and practice.
2: So I actually had, had to really sit back and think about what culinary sustainability meant to me um, and how it's ingra- ingrained into how we run business. And I, I think for me, there's two parts to it. So I, I kind of refer to, well, being an all plant-based business is uh, a sustainable food practice. It's more so that the end of that, um, uh, what is it, that system. Um, but I feel like because we don't contribute to certain things, we have less of a carbon footprint. We have... Um, uh, healthier options. We have sus- sustainable food system, the way that we utilize food within our business. But I think really the, the center of um, where our value system lies more in food sovereignty. And I'm still learning like what that definition means. I think there's a lot of umbrellas under food sovereignty. You can get into food policy. You can get into um, farmer farm work um, <clears throat> farm work, farmer, uh, farm worker rights and so forth. But I think the umbrella that we really fit into is more on the individual system mm-hmm. or on in the individual basis. And so food sovereignty, um, on that aspect to me means that we provide an opportunity for somebody to choose to be healthier and to eat healthy and to take control of their nutrition. Um, so that mm-hmm. for me, is the basis of everything that we do here um, whether that's on the for-profit side we have you know programming that that helps people that can't afford to be healthy but want to be healthy um on the non-profit Isn't side, that
1: preposterous sorry
2: <laughs> can't
1: afford to be healthy
2: like. on the non-profit side we come from a couple different angles you know, where we offer education and we, um, you know, provide a means for people to learn how to grow their own food. And I think initially it, food sovereignty wasn't always the goal. I think it was always food access. Mm. For us, it, it really d- distilled to that. We want people to have access to good food. Um, and now kind of learning some of these terms and some of these, um, you know, other organizations that are, that have thrown around this uh term of food sovereignty I see oh wow you know that's really that's we've been doing that piece that's been the the driving force um for us for a a long time so it's nice to identify it (laughs) and to see how much of a bigger um scale it is how many different avenues that you can actually um go and dive into with in regards to food sovereignty
1: so all this I mean as much as we do it Um, we're learning about it all the way through and it's, it's a twist and turn. Like we came in with a certain intention, me on a personal note, I've worked the industry a long time and I just, there are certain things that the culinary industry, and this goes beyond the food, um, that, that are not sustainable. So like the lifestyle of a typical cook is very, unsustainable and i i experienced that lifestyle young young i was too young to experience that lifestyle um but it's so easy easily done and accepted and if you have a personality that leans towards i don't know kind of kind of into chaos honestly there's there's a chaotic it's so systematic yet so chaotic um it's so put together yet so broken um the people themselves um we have a history of drug addiction and alcoholism and uh, self-abuse and divorce and, uh, you know, heart attacks from stress. Um, I've had very good friends fall asleep on the road and crush half of their side of their body because they just work too much. Um, it's not sustainable. Hmm. And food is so warm and so beautiful. When did it turn into, you know, pound for pound, dollar for dollar when did, it, when did the event get taken away? When did, when did cooks just have to slave themselves to prove, you know, that they, they like food? So on that level, it's not sustainable. And being a business owner, uh, like, I, like I take in these cooks like they're my children. <laughs> I'm sure if I had older ones, they wouldn't feel like my children. But I just happen to have a young crew of like students and I have a background in teaching. I taught culinary for a long time and and um, like, why would I want to bring them into an abusive place? You know, like I love my history and where I came from and it was never considered abusive. It was considered like toughening up. You know, it's like a macho male based era. Like, you know, when you see the swinging pots going across the room and like saw weird stuff and experienced crazy stuff. I want it to be like a safe haven in the kitchen for people. So on the on the very, like on the business side, that's what culinary sustainability means to me. It means like getting these young people, empowering them, showing them that there's not a way, you don't have to be in an abusive relationship with your career. You could be in a marriage with your career. You know, you can, you can do good things and you can serve people and your food can be made out of love with simple ingredients and blow away the competition or blow away the minds of your customers. And that's sustainable, no? Like, we're not even talking about what we're cooking with. We're just talking about our intention going forward. So that's a thing. We don't get paid enough as cooks, myself included. I'm the owner of this business, and I don't get paid enough. But I, that's the decision I made, you know? And, and as we grow, we, work, we are working to create sustainable lives for those that work along with us to serve the mission. So, so on that end, there's that and I guess that kind of falls into values and that's because I had I had experienced so much of the negativity you know so I can kind of share the wild stories with them so they can understand what it was but then I get to remind them of like but well, we don't do that like our professionalism in this kitchen is it's a love thing and it's a sharing thing and the competition is com- is gone it's community and we will learn from each other and so so that's for that now as far as practice I just watched food change, Um, and we've discussed this before. I I saw the chicken breast, just the basic chicken breast, go from this yellow, fatty, different-sized lobe, you know, from each one to this pale, peachy, pink-like blob over the course of 20 years. The way it cooks, the way it smells, the way it tastes, and that always affected me to where, like, chicken towards the end of my meat eating days was really kind of coming off naturally. There was just something very unnatural about it. And I was listening to a podcast and a guy's a medical doctor, but he saw basically the atrophy in the bones, how they never moved and stuff like that and how they were just built. And it kind of changed his side. And I'm like, I know what he means. I like noticed like it used to, you have to like used to break mm-hmm. through the bones and now the bones just kind of slide out. Like it's weird, you know? So then I got into education started teaching. And then I started learning about food systems and things like Food ink came out and like documentaries that just kind of exposed the food system. And I took that seriously because I'm like, yo, like this is the food that I buy, that I produce, that I'm teaching my students to use that, you know, and so we started gardening at home, just kind of seeing, and it was just speaking to us, you know, and it was building our core value for something that we didn't know. We just thought we were just trying to bring healthier food to our family and teach mm-hmm. students a different way. And, um, all that stuff, you can just feel the difference. When you take the like the food cost of the mighty dollar, pound for pound, that this beef is cheaper than this one and that, and you, it starts losing its importance. And then you start seeing, where does your food come from? And so it's like, I don't want to support those businesses that are doing that factory farming. You know, I don't want to support those businesses that are doing really terrible things in the dairy industry that, you know, from the animal cruelty straight to the human rights issues that are involved with it, there's just... It's a broken system and we can't do it all, but we can sure as heck like make a point to say we can make delicious food that's good for you and healthy and make you strong without it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's, the levels of sustainability that we're coming, and then we get into the community, and we're, that's the part where we're learning. You know, and we're going to learn how to create sustainable communities better and better. We're we're getting on it.
0: Which brings me this is an amazing answer to both of you. Um, I I can see sort of the crossover between these terms, sustainability um, and and um, uh, sovereignty, because in some some ways, I think I think you're reframing how to think about sovereignty. Um, and so I can see sort of some some, some echoes in, in in this terminology in the mm. pr- actual practice of providing healthier options mm. um, to to the people that you serve. Mm. Um, speaking of that, it, it raises one question for me that I would like you to, to think a little bit about um, to to hear your answer. If if I'm not mistaken, I believe you are the only one hundred uh, percent plant based food restaurant in El Paso. Um, I Wonderful. think there are other restaurants that have vegan options, but but I think you are the only one that is 100% plant-based. So I'm, I'm curious to hear how this idea of whether we're going to call it uh, culinary s- s- sustainability or, or food sovereignty, how does that meet? or clashes with um, specific cultural culinary traditions. And what I mean by that, thinking about us here in El Paso, mm-hmm. we are generally conceived as primarily a, a Mexican, Mexican-American community. Mm-hmm. We have, people think about El Paso, all got to go have Mexican food because the real authentic thing is that it's there. So how do you, as, as, as being determined to do, to do a, an all plant-based um, uh, menu, Address, like I said, how how does it meet or challenges um, certain traditions, certain flavors within this Mexican community uh, food, which is comes from lard, comes from cheese, comes from mead. So, Ooh. so how do you maneuver that to to serve the population that we have that are, that a large number is Mexican Mexican American? Yeah, um, that's a great question. It's a fantastic <laughs> question. And you
2: know what? We it's actually probably like the part that makes this business and this food business so much fun. So challenging yes. and causes us to become very creative, yes, which is kind of like what it's that creative outlet that all, that we need as individuals, yes, yeah. um, that we're able to incorporate. And we've grown up here. We know this food. This is the food that we grew up on.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so we know the flavor that that uh, that is familiar. We know um, how would you say like,
1: it's the it's just the heart it's it's the culture of what we have here on the frontera mm-hmm. it's a very it's a very individualized yes, you can get Mexican food anywhere and and it's different from one place to the other but but why does an El Paso share this cuisine that is um i think unparalleled you know i I think it's just its own thing just has any region has its own thing. our style of Mexican food is there, you know, and it's delicious, but it's bad for you like. <laughs> bad for you like trans fat saturated fat bad for you you know and um and i love it like (laughs) that monster cheese those big orange blocks that you can get everywhere in el paso like like that snow-capped lard like it it's culturally like almost a point of pride right like those items and those products that we use but you know what is going on that's so beautiful right now There's like a renaissance in the young culinary world. And I say young, but, you know, these are people in their 30s, 40s. And and it comes from the older generations that, you know, I feel like every generation has a responsibility of whatever, especially when it comes to the trades, right? You're doing a trade. There's something that you're like contributing to the decade or to the trend. Or, you know, if you're a hairstylist, if you're a masseuse, if you're whatever, if it's a skill, a hand trade a welder, there's there's gonna be trends, right? Well, luckily enough, we're in a place where the trend right now is decolonizing our diet. And how beautiful is that to actually like, for it to be popular, to shed to shed the colonization of our food, right? And so this is where it gets sticky because then you get into gentrification and you get into all that kind of stuff too. And I am not an expert in that area. But I can tell you, people are stripping back and learning the roots of their food, right? We go back to those. Go ahead.
0: If, okay. if I may interrupt you, I mean, I, I, thank you for, for bringing this topic of decolonization diet. And I pr- purposely use... Um, so that I'm not sure. I, I think I subconsciously, purposely talk about the flavors that Mexican food have in, that, that come from particularly lard and cheese and yeah. and, and and meat um, because I think a lot of us have forgotten that when we're thinking about ancestral foods of the Americas, those products were not part of it.
1: At they, all, they were brought in <laughs>
0: with 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 Spaniards. They, they were brought in animal product like that was actually part of the, of the, of the, of the, of the colonization, quote unquote, oh, um, discovery, whatever word, whatever word is the correct word you, you 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 would prefer to use. But it's part of the change of, of food s- systems, I suppose. Right. Um, so I, I'm very happy that you brought this, this concept of decolonization uh, in terms of bringing to mind that some of the things that we sometimes really associate with quote-unquote Mexican food right. already has a history that comes from someplace else. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just no, wanted to I, say that.
1: No, no. Um, I mean, this is why we do this with you, Meredith. That you, I think we motivate each other and get excited when we talk. <laughs> so, like, it's... it's. <laughs> yes. Like, to be able to, to like, feature Nixtamal, like, as something like, ah, Nixtamal, we're, we're doing our own Nixtamalization, You know, we're taking the corn and adding the cal and doing the process and denaturizing the proteins and like showing people like what that was and like demystifying it. And it's like, oh, that's not just a can of hominy that you're popping in. It's like, no, this is like the process and come taste it. And guess what? You don't need the animal fat that is part of a later generation. Like you can have just that pozole with the beautiful like wild grown chile, you know, and that's all you need. And yes, there is protein in there, you know, And, and so so like... The the fad of that is now allowing cooks to just kind of strip that away. And, you know, we started this plant-based thing because it was just a need in the community. Like Adriana said, we're food access. We wanted to bring good food to people that couldn't get it. Well, vegans tend to eat healthier. And so for the most part, you know, you can totally have an unhealthy diet on a vegan diet too. But people are searching. And whenever I, in my like former jobs, I had a vegan feature, they would come, they would come. And it's just like, oh, man, people need this in their life. And, and so that's what happened. And then it came in with this trend. It's like two trends meeting. And it was so funny. I feel like my life has just like come up to this point to where it was time because I never fit in fully to this industry. I like I could do the work. I could work my way up. I can teach. I could do management. But my heart was always just a little outside, you know. So now I'm in a place where it's like important that we take care of our food, where it came from, how not because it's trendy, but because it's an absolute need. And so there has to be spokespeople for that that are in this industry of food service. So I take that on as like a happy burden that I'm happy to take on. Um, I found a way to do it. And we're still alive. So I will continue to do it. And um, but like, it all timed out. I can't even explain it, you know, like, the universe comes, God comes, there's a, there's something. And it's just like where we just get to just put forward something and people are, are ready for it. And so we get to do nixtamalization. We get to like see other local places in town. That's important for me too. like kind of take these processes and, and make beautiful things. And and it's just, I don't know, It's that in itself has helped us because the community is kind of ready for that. Now there's an age that's ready for that too, you know. There is a generation that just doesn't even want to hear it. When we worked farmer's market stands, like we would just stick food in their mouths before we told it, it was vegan. Like, taste it, you know, and they're like, oh, this is good carne asada. And we'd be like, that has no meat in it. And then you have their attention. Ah, cool. You know, and then they walk away because they're like, no, I'm going to go make a carne asada. When get, <laughs> you know, and it's all you always see that in a generation. <laughs>
0: Let me ask you that: um, What what is it that you think brought this this Renaissance, this this um, uh, younger generation of cooks um, uh, to to want to reclaim um, sort of sort of decolonize the diet? What, what does that mean in the context of of El Paso? And and this is to another question that I had. So I'm sort of kind of going to frame these two things together. Um, one great community is specifically located in an area that is considered um, designated as a, as a, as a, um, a, a, a food desert. Mm. Um, and there are a number of places in El Paso that I consider food deserts, but I'm thinking in terms of the things that you do with the garden and so on and so forth, um, in what ways this notion of culinary, um, sustainability, uh, sovereignty, um, it's what efforts are you, you feel that you're doing in order to, I like this phrase in order to sort of shift the, the designation or the concept of food desert to foods off the desert foods from the desert um, and here I'm thinking uh, specifically specifically of things that um uh, a recipe that that actually you you, you show us in a food voices website under the recipe um category where mm. you use i believe cali calicus, calicus? Which are uh, I forget how you call them in English actually. Uh-huh. Um How do you say kalic? Was it uh, the like the know, this, this, this this plant that, that this this plant that works that that the I mean they grows like weeds. Oh, the um, kalic that works like like yeah yeah laga, sorry I, I have oh, the, the wrong word uh-huh. So 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 basically my question is in terms of this whether this spirit or 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 or, or practice, really, more than a spirit, or both, of decolonizing diets, of, of sort of um, exploring uh, foods that might have been or, uh, um, from these areas. And, and how does that shift? Can, can we continue to, to, to learn about these foods off the desert to challenge the notion that we are, in fact, a food desert place? Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I'm specifically thinking about nopales and, 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 verdolagas, mm-hmm. like, we have them everywhere, but mm-hmm. most of us don't think about eating them because we have no idea. So how does one grow community has this, your garden, let's talk a little bit about your garden and, and, and things that you do, um, can help us maybe, or does it help us maybe change that, 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 that concept? So I
2: can speak on behalf of the, the garden for mm-hmm. sure. So. We have a, like, we have a very diverse production. I mean, generally on, on hand, we'll have anywhere from 20 to 30 different varieties of herbs, um, medicinal plants, vegetables. Um, and not all of them are regionally based. Um, but some of them are, and some of them are even wild, <laughs> which is awesome. We mm-hmm. have like a cheese, the bean pepper, um, that is wild and it, it's, you have to be kind of, gifted it from a bird <laughs> so um boy the birds we take care are... <laughs> of
1: that little plant <laughs> uh,
0: and, and, and by the way chintelpin if i pronounce it correctly Aww. it's a nahuatl word that means little tiny oh so even That's that lovely. even in the very word itself we're going back to that <laughs> How cute. they
2: are and they're tiny little red chiles and man they'll teach you a lesson they're so hot yeah. um and they don't, the, the thing that I, I love, it's probably like my prized, my prized plant out there, just because we didn't plant it, it just showed up, we were gifted it from a bird. Um, and the interesting thing about it is that the seed won't germinate unless it goes through the digestive system of, of a bird. And so that the digestive tract actually breaks down the outer coating of the seed in order for it to germinate. So... It's, it's really just, it's really cool to have one yeah. of those on hand. It's, it's actually considered, uh, it's on the endangered list, uh, mainly because of a lot of economic development um, that's happening. But um, it's, uh, it's really neat. We mm-hmm. also do have Nopal on hand too. Um, so as people volunteer and garden with, with us, um, that is our opportunity to, to teach, to teach and to show people what can grow in this climate, how to sustain it in this climate, um, and how you can prepare it as food. So it's really like a closed loop um, food access mm-hmm. initiative for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where you'll see the nonprofit and the for-profit really lock arms together to be able to provide this closed loop. Um, and so I love having stuff that that grows here. I we have a a yucca plant um, that you see all over the desert. Drive on the 375, you'll see them. And um, when they flower, it's a very short flowering period, um, but the flowers are edible. and so Those we'll huge go white bell-looking things, <laughs> yes. they're
1: delicious.
2: And they're beautiful. Give me soup. <laughs> yes, Ooh, yes we can roast them. And you... So um, I'm not completely well-versed on all the foraging opportunities that we have in the desert. We're definitely learning. Um, but we do have some, some of that on site. We do plan to extend that knowledge um, and to also share it with our community. That's really the basis of what we
1: do. And to learn as we go along. Because mm-hmm. it is, it is unchartered territory for us. But, you know, big thanks to Adriana's research um, and continual research. And um, so it's, I think, I think we will get to, like, I, right now it's like you're just doing the work. So it's like you kind of don't know, like you've set an intention, you want to teach, you want to. And but we we're not quite seeing the the long term effect of it yet. That's what when it'll get exciting, I think, is Mm -hmm. like when people are more identified, like, oh, I know what a nopal is. Like I order nopals from one grub all the time. I get them raw or I get them in a guisado from the diner, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, oh, you know, that type of thing. Yeah.
2: And then on, you know, on the topic of nopal, we actually have two different varieties, neither of which I know the names to, unfortunately. <laughs> but I know that we use one variety specifically for culinary purposes. It's very thin framed. Like it's not a really fat pad. Mm-hmm. So there's less of that fast. slime. It grows um, fast, The fast, spining fast. on it is not very like uh, scary and like you can deal with the spines. And so... Um, we've actually made cuttings and offered it to some of our volunteers so mm. that they can take them home and grow their own. And then that's an amazing food source. The nopal, I mean, it's it's just an amazing food source. The other variety we have is really good for the, the prickly pear, the tuna, the fruit, the cactus fruit. And it's probably the most beautiful cactus fruit I've ever seen or worked with. huge. <laughs>
1: the, the cactus itself is like 13 feet tall.
2: Mm-hmm. So we huge. do, we offer cuttings. You can purchase them. You can make a donation for them. And we really walk people through how to propagate their cutting and what kind of environment to set it in so that it's successful. And then they have their own food access to it as far as goes. But there's other varieties here that we have as well. We have a seed sharing hub that the community can access and they, they can plant um, at home and, yeah. and they can work with us in the garden to kind of learn some techniques on how to deal with pests and how to compost and um, how when to plant when. And um, so we're really building on that aspect because food access, it, I mean, if you can grow your own food, that's absolutely the best food access you can get, you know.
1: And if you have a community that you can grow with, then your access just widens because then you have things like barters, like you grow this, I grow that, like, you know, like I have an extra to me. So like, I feel like if we could just kind of be a hub of various ways, not one thing, it's like not a one size fits all to get the point across. Some people just need a meal, you know, but Mm -hmm. they, they can give two about the about what's growing in the garden and that's fine you know so we can provide Mm -hmm. a volunteer point or a pay forward meal for them you know some people they feel like they have enough to eat and they're happy but they just want to learn their technique in their garden and they need a sense of community around them or whatever the case is and so it's like not a one-size-fits-all so we have some people they can grow probably better than us and we're like please volunteer with us so we can learn you know Mm -hmm. but they need access to the seed sovereignty packets. And along with that, they probably have some knowledge to let us know when to plant. So it's very give and take for all of us. Planning for the people doesn't belong to us. Yeah, we're the founders of it, but but it doesn't operate without the wholeness of the community. Mm-hmm. So it's like everybody has to put into it and everybody has to take from it too, you know. So we're, we're getting to take the knowledge from others. We're getting to mm-hmm. take... That satisfaction of knowing like, hey, we do have a connecting point and a connecting spot for people. And it's just, it it still doesn't answer all the questions, but it brings that thing. And then speaking earlier on, it's like you said, like, where does that decolonizing the diet come from? You know, that's a hard one because it kind of just popped up. But there are people like that write books about like women on the frontera cooking, you know. Uh, and so I, I you might know who I'm talking about, Miss Meredith. And, and then... <laughs> There are people here in town that have taken it upon themselves to say, "Hey, there's we don't have to believe the systems as they are. We can create change. We can do that." <laughs> and so there's people like like La Semilla Farms. They're my hero nonprofit, and, and and that not only are they growing food and teaching, you know, uh, the youth how to grow, but they're they're social activists, man. Like we're not even social activists. That's like territory where i I get a little nervous, you know but they're social activists and they're talking about the farmers they're talking about. And then they're like teaching the old ways and they're finding like poets and scholars and artists to put out material for people to learn. And then they have this food access that these chefs come and, and we learn and we're like, Hey, this is important, you know? And some chefs have taken that to heart to where that is all they do in town. And that is their place. And that is important you know and i'm so proud of like of my people man like we have really pulled together in this culinary industry to kind of like switch the face of it a little bit and and make it like it's truly feeling like el paso because of these techniques that are part of our heritage and we get to put our spin you know and not all of it needs the queso and the lard anymore you know we, now we do like we do utilize plant-based cheeses we do utilize and those things are new so it's like i don't know like Is that colonizing? Is that decolonizing? Like, that's where it gets all, like, shady and and weird. But what I do know is that those things don't have trans fats. They don't have saturated fat. A lot of them don't, like, all of them don't contribute to, to animal cruelty. And they don't contribute to factory farming the way we know factory farming. And so, like, I understand it's part of our heritage when we slaughtered animals and did that. But it's just not the same. And if you want... To really understand that, it's just not the same. We're not, we're not, we're literally, it's so different. Like that's a whole other conversation.
2: (laughs) I think that really speaks to sustainable communities is where you have individuals, entities, bringing their skills or their resources to the table for the greater good and for the greater good for the community. Um, You know, I get volunteers and it, it, it blows my mind. People will come. They will work and I will have them get dirty and um, work them in my garden. And at the end of it, they thank me. <laughs> and I'm like, you came here and you would worked for free. Why are you thanking well, me? That's you know? when, and, just, and then
1: that's when we realize that it's it's, it's their garden too. Like they, they, share, they share the burden with us and it's beautiful.
2: Right. And people want an outlet. People want an opportunity to give back to their community. And if they can do that while they learn how to garden, while they you know, um, find an, an avenue for food access themselves while they socialize, while, you know, they build relationships, then it's just win-win all the way around. And that's really like the sweet spot mm. of, of community sustainability, in my mm.
0: opinion. Well, what you just said brings me to, to another question that I had, but before I ask the question, I, I wanted to go back to, to this idea of what Roman just said about, you know, you're making cheese from, from plants, whether that's decolonization or colonization, or what is that is? What do we call that? I have a tendency, and, and I don't know if I might be in the minority here, but I have a tendency of, of thinking of, um, of this notion of, I, I call it cultural in transition, mm. And what I mean by that is that our cultural practice, particularly our culinary practices, are constantly changing. Mm. You know, like we, at one point we didn't have in, in the Americas we didn't have lard because we had, we didn't have pigs, mm. um, and then they became part of our diet. So now we have new things or we just rediscover things and so on and so forth. So I always think of I don't think in terms of colonizing or decolonizing. I think in terms of constantly changing. Mm. And the more we know, like you do, in terms of you know how the system works and so the food system works, the more informed those changes can become. Um, so that's why I like the term of thinking about culture in transition. It is always changing.
1: Absolutely. And it is, it's an evolution. It, it really is. We have definitely evolved as cooks and just us. We've dev- evolved as people and how we eat and how we cook. You're absolutely right. Yeah.
0: It is a transition. And Adriana, what you just brought up into terms of the sweet spot, that was sort of kind of, you kind of answered already my, my other question, but I'm going to ask it uh, just to see if you want to add something else to it, either you or both of you, is that, you know, when, when we talk about culinary sub- uh, sustainability, um, um, uh, sub- uh routine, we, we oftentimes uh, think about the food, obviously, because it's culinary. But my question really is, which I believe you already answered, um, actually, I don't believe, I know you already answered, <laughs> is, what role do people play in the very notion of sustainability mm. meaning all the food vendors in the community that, that you that you you have relationships with meaning the community itself um, in terms of your customers in terms of your volunteers um so how will you frame the role that people have in being able to to create to have this notion of sustainability mm. I think
2: you know we've seen it even more so in this like pandemic era that we're in. Mm. You know, especially as uh, restaurant owners um, and and food establishments that have been, you know, all businesses have been hit really, really hard. Um, but there, there, I'm seeing a camaraderie um, throughout the city of, of businesses binding together. Mm. So, for instance, um, I, I see businesses that are trying to have locally sourced produce available inside their restaurants as a means to try to provide food access, but also to help sustain our local food economy and help each other out there. It's it's like the symbiosis mm-hmm. of like we are offering more but we're also supporting our fellow small business owners mm-hmm. and our fellow farmers and mm-hmm. so forth. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a beautiful thing that has emerged out of this tough situation, you know. And has yes. given
1: us an outlet to, because that is something we've always worked towards, was creating a local market space. When this hit, like, we were, we were able to, like, kind of, like, make it happen and people understood it. People didn't understand before this pandemic if what we were trying to do, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Sorry, babe.
2: No, no, you're good. Um... <clears throat> I think too, like, let's see, to kind of break that down. So like a lot of, like I said, a lot of food vendors are, are trying to source locally. Um, a lot of the community members, even though they can't come into our restaurant to eat, where they're still supporting us mm-hmm. by drive through and through, um, gift cards and just different options that, people don't have to do that and i I feel like it comes from a place of wanting to support the community that you're within yeah you know and and i know we see that firsthand for sure yeah
1: we were closed for a month and people were buying gift cards over Mm -hmm. that month waiting for us to open up you know um yeah
0: well that that's that's amazing and that actually um, adriana thank you. you 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 sort of kind of tap into the, the the question that all of us are thinking about all of us are, are 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 having to deal with with this pandemic um it has definitely changed our lives um uh, in, in in very drastic ways for some of us um but but uh, and, and and you know the, what i want to know which which you have addressed a little bit i don't know if um, roman wants to add something else to it is it's a moment of crisis uh, uh like the pandemic uh it always brings challenges, but it also always brings opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, are there other other uh, challenges that, that that you have been facing uh, in the last year um, that you would like to address? Or, or, or you know, obviously you, you talk about how the community is supporting you, um, sure. how you've developed this drive drive not necessarily drive through, but but sort of order in and, and take out uh, yeah. as part of your your operation. Now. Um, but what other other challenges do you see that, that this pandemic has created? But also, what other opportunities?
1: Just when you think you have a system down for your business, (laughs) you go and get struck by a pandemic and have to close your dining room down. And anybody that has had to run any sort of restaurant understands that. Some people have had systems, you know, and I think, unfortunately, those that have had systems in place for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, maybe their struggle has been a little bit harder to transition into this. And it's unfortunate. We've seen places close. You hear of places that, should absolutely not be closed. They're like, you know, local standards here and in other places in the nation and in the world that have been around for, you know, I hear of restaurants in New York that have 65 years on them and they closed. Like it's it's sad, you know? But we we always did this like we had to do this from the heart because you have to tap into your resources, right? And so when your resources are like time, a skill set, and heart but there's zero money <laughs> back into it you have to use your other resources to make it work does that make sense so like we put a lot of time and heart but not a lot of funds into this so in doing that you have to be agile and you mm-hmm. have to like turn on a dime and follow you know not even follow see what's coming up ahead and like turn that way and hope you meet it before you lose that opportunity right and so that has been us as one grub community starting from a food truck to a market stand, to a diner, back to a market stand and a diner, and then, boom, a takeout spot, you know, that's located in a hard-to-find church that nobody even understands. And you have to reach a whole new crowd because your regulars aren't coming in enough, because your regulars are spread thin, um, because of their life situations, and they want to support other places too, and they, you know what I mean? And so, thank goodness that we have had (laughs) so much I don't even want to call it adversity. It feels like adversity in the moment, you know, but I would say diversity in our our work-life situations that we were like, oh, this is coming. Like we shut down, March hit. We ran like two weeks. Like what is going on? Everybody was kind of like, what is happening here? And I'm like, do my cooks have to wear a mask? What is it like? Like everything just changed, right? And then it's just like, can I touch anything? Oh, what about the grocery store? Like I bring the groceries back what do I do? Like, like all this. And so it's just like, that's it. We then became overwhelmed with, with the pandemic. And so I said, we have to close and decide what the heck we're doing. And I think that was the best decision we did. We closed in April. Our kids were out of school. Everybody was confused. And we hunkered down April and just talked and talked and watered and grew what we had left in the garden. And we got real close to our daughters, which was like a side effect that, We'll run into our professional lives too, you know, Um, we had no choice and you have a teenager and comes a teenager comes thoughts that you don't even know are going on in teenager's head and you get to talk to them and, you know, you get to like flesh out some things and we got to like work out some teenage stuff with our daughter and got to like work with our nine year old and Mm we still and we're, we're so tight now like I didn't think we could be tighter. And so it's so tight and it's and I'm looking forward to getting even tighter with them and this pandemic taught us to stop and put our concentration on that mm-hmm. and then we were allowed to say, okay, what's next well, we're growing food so we're la- we're launching plenty for the people yeah, we tried in December it was kind of a flop. We did this big beautiful open house our locals showed up our and we did have a good turnout, but it was just hard, and people were like, we're supporting you, but we kind of don't get it, you know, because we were still fleshing out our things. Well, boom, this pandemic came, and we knew what we were doing. And so the food boxes came, volunteers came. We did no contact um, food box delivery. Um, volunteers made scan codes of of all that we had and gave. Like it was just it pulled together in three weeks, and then after that we we're empty. And I'm like, let's plant. <laughs> and so we just planted, and then I said. Let's open and and we were able to flesh out like this is what we're doing. We got an online system, and then Adriana just started learning of grant opportunities for the nonprofit, and then grant opportunities for the for profit, and you know, and just started putting her best foot forward. And let me tell you, this is like she hates doing this stuff, <laughs> hates it. It's misery for her and we know when she's working on grants and we know and we're all like not that we tiptoe around her but we're sensitive to her needs we'll make sure to give her that cup of tea because she's doing important work and it's it's understandable why it's making her brain flex the way it is it's it's complicated but let me tell you like we've gotten some grants you know we we've we've been able to we've been able to pull some loans and we've been able to say okay online platform let's do this and then i have my little crew of cooks and i'm like all right guys how are we going about this and at any other change we sit down and the cooks decide with us what's a safe zone for everybody so like right now we're on the verge of getting to reopen but it's got to look different it's got to feel different it's almost going to feel like a relaunch the way we're going about things and it has to because we are not living in 2019 we're not living in 2020 We're living in 2021 post, you know, or mid pandemic. It's, you know, the vaccination is in, there's all these changes, but we're, we're kind of agile on our feet. Thank God that we've been able to do that. And the cooks are going to help us decide how we go about this. And we're going to do it as a small team together. And I believe we're going to grow and provide more food and become more successful as a business and more successful in the community and give people the food and the options that they deserve. But we had to go through this pandemic mm-hmm. so we were very reactive now we're we're feeling a little proactive we're pulling a plan together we plan to have some great outdoor seating um and there will absolutely be no masks off inside but people will be able to come inside hopefully for a market space that we've always intended i might be giving away too much babe i'm sorry and 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 but we're we're working on it you know and it's exciting and so it's great and it's great to see We've made new regulars that have never heard of us, but because of, like, some of this granting, we've had access to some, like, Google Analytics amping up from Spectrum Technologies and some, like, some things that have gotten our name. And so people that don't know and that are trying to, like, have more plant-based choices are finding us now. And so now we have, like, a new line of usuals mm-hmm. that have never even stepped in. They don't even know what the restaurant looks like. Well,
2: and I think, too, <laughs> like, the pandemic has Caused and caused people to want to support their local businesses. Like I, I we have totally seen oh, that. Yeah. You know, um, I don't even understand how we've made it this far, just being drive. You know, just a curbside pickup. And had 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 somebody told me yeah. that this is how we would be operating, I would have I thought, know. well, that what well, that's not going to last for for long. And it, you know, I still feel that way to an extent, um, but. we're still here you know, and we're still here because of our supporters and because people have, have continuously poured into us and into our business and they seek us out. And we're just so grateful to the community that has surrounded us and supported us um, and has seen us through. Um, So that, and I see that with a lot of different local businesses. So it's really, really fascinating. And, and I'm so grateful for our community because I know that they're, working hard to support their small business owners it's it's really a beautiful thing
0: well and and hopefully when once we um, air this podcast that will be another opportunity for people to know about about you and, and what you do and and but in that in that context um tell us where are you located because we haven't actually addressed where one Grab community is located
2: sure so I mean we are located inside of first Christian Church we're right on the outskirts of downtown we're tucked away in a little neighborhood. So we're, we're not very visible in the sense, <laughs> but the, the address is 901 Arizona Avenue. It's on the corner of Arizona Avenue and St. Green. Um We are currently closed to the public, so best way to kind of hear about what we're doing when we're reopening and, and getting the latest information um, about One Grub and also planting for the people would be through Instagram or Facebook. Um, we're, we're pretty active in those uh, media platforms. We do also have uh, websites that are a little outdated. <laughs> we're, we're working on Working getting that, on them. They're so important situated. right now. Um, but if, if, if somebody's not on social media, they can always visit our website and at least get um, information there. They can give us a call. Um, and then right now we're open Wednesday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. for the diner. Um, As for the nonprofit, um, I hold uh, very, very small um, groups of volunteers, Um, and that's another thing that I've had to change because of the pandemic. What I'm trying to do is lessen the amount of traffic, so my volunteers commit to uh, coming once a week. Um, so as so
1: it's social, the same people, and we can track a little better. You yeah, know? and
2: as social distancing measures loosen, I'll be adding more um, more volunteers to that. Um, but currently, we have Garden Days Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, from nine to uh, nine to eleven. However, on Fridays, I have two sessions, so they run till twelve. So from nine to twelve on Saturdays.
0: Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, thank you so much. And, and I think we have a lot to, you, you've given us a lot to think about what this notion of culinary um, sustainability in conjunction with sovereignty, in conjunction with decolonizing diets, in conjunction with, most importantly, I think, is access. I mean, that's, that's what I'm getting that you are all about, that um, if I had to redefine culinary um, sustainability to, you know, one water community and plenty for the people, I would say that you translate this to access. Yep. I hope I had that right concept.
1: Yep. Um, is there
0: anything else that, that that you would like to cover before we we we, we finish? Uh, that we do you like to uh, share with us that we haven't covered that that you feel that we need to tell our community?
2: I would say maybe our Pay It Forward program. That's mm-hmm. um that's that's always been. It's what it's the program that launched our community food access initiative. And it started with us since day one. Yeah. So it's really been the backbone of how we provide community or food access. And it has evolved and grown um, since then. So it's we call it a pay it forward program. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody basically can uh, purchase a ticket, a physical token. Um, they're, they value at $12. And um, that will constitute a $12 meal towards anybody in need. So uh this person whoever would need a meal does not have to volunteer with us um they basically can call in and ask and inquire about the pay it forward program and they can even do it now even though we're not open and we're just curbside so if anybody is hungry give us a call inquire about our pay it forward program and that'll afford you a meal through our menu
1: worth 12 bucks that you can get a great full filling meal like if Literally, like you have one meal a day, you know, $12 at one grub community will fill you. You may still be hungry, but you'll be nourished. You mm-hmm. know, does that make sense? So like, like it kind of makes it count. And so um, it's a big deal and not enough people take advantage of it. Um, those that do know it and they love, they, they love it. And I think, you know, there's just, we're, it's, it's, there's a culture, there's a culture and a paradigm shift in our, in our sector section of the culinary industry so we're teaching a culture where it's okay to get some help for a meal don't you you know we don't have to worry about pride you know we're proud of who you are and we want to feed you and 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 you deserve the dignity and the respect of a good meal no matter who the heck you are it has it, it holds no bearing to a good healthy meal And so that's a, that's, that's a foreign concept, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's what we continue to teach. And we have other programs around it, but the heart of it is like when somebody gets that and they either start contributing to it or taking from it, it's a, it's a blessing either way. And it's beautiful because we get more contributors than we do takers. So that's beautiful too, but we have it, we have it. And if you're hungry, we'll feed you.
2: If anybody wants to contribute, it's the same process. They can go ahead and give us a call. Um let us know how many tokens they're interested in donating. Uh, we can take payment over the phone and then we make it available here. Mm-hmm. Once we're open, um, I you know, we envision having these tokens displayed so that people can take them. Um, and utilize them on site. Um, But they are usable now, you know. Um, In addition to that program, uh, we also have on the nonprofit side, um, we have a produce by donation program. So basically, everything that we grow on site, um, we grow as a community, we learn together, and the produce is available to the community as well. So I actually have an intern from UTEP that's helping Build a library of all the different uh, products that we um, grow on site. And uh, we also come up with a market value. So, for instance, you know, how much would one pay for organic carrots at Sprouts? And we'll look up the pricing and see what the market rate is. And that's how we develop our suggested pricing so that somebody knows the value before they make a donation. But at the end of the transaction, a person gets to pay what they can afford. Mm and so that's available as well. And we'll have a lot more produce up and going probably in March. We do have some greens um, and some uh, winter products that, that we grow right now. Um, but we're, we'll be... Winter got away from us. <laughs> we'll be was... full swing um, this, coming, this spring and summer. So we're excited to be able to offer that up.
0: Oh and then well, one other thing. It sounds like here. that's a great place. Keep <laughs> <laughs> <It's laughs> so going, that's okay. Oh gosh, this is great. A wordy one.
2: We're also starting um we had done a fundraiser back in um October, um, for a community pantry. Mm. And so we're working with a, a local carpenter. We, we knew that we wanted to also, um, go local with our, our, um, labor and stuff.
1: Shout out to Joey Rubio, the cutting board <laughs> guy.
2: And he's going to be custom building this pantry. That's going to be located on the outside of our, um, our doors. Um, and the community pantry is not refrigerator. It's just all dried goods. Um, but we're going to be sourcing as much goods from our garden um, to be available in, to, in the pantry. The pantry will also be available to to um, the public to donate food items as well, um, and it's available to the community to take food items whatever they need. They can take. So we plan to have food. We also plan to have you know masks and and hand sanitizer and toiletries and stuff as well. So it's just another another aspect where we can. Support our community members through this crazy time, right? <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: diversity, I think, has been key for us. We have to we have to stay diverse. the The heart at if you look at the center central point of every single thing that we the provision that we're bringing or the service that we're providing or. The heart is the same, you know, but we're just trying to give different avenues. Not everybody's comfortable at one, whatever stage, mm-hmm. you know, but somebody might be down like, you know, to just quick take a bag of beans from the thing and feed their family. Like, that's cool, you know? So I don't know. It's been a, cra- it's been a crazy ride. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, and I,
0: and, I, and I thank you. Uh, I, and I genuinely, genuinely mean this. I, I really thank you for your service. Um we, we often tanks as we should, um, our military people. Um, but I also think we need to thank our, our food providers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you certainly are part of those. Are, you are that. Um, mm-hmm. Because without you, at every level of the food providing chain, um, we would not be able to eat. W- whether we eat vegetarian or vegan or, or meat products, the bottom line is that I think we need to, to give a, a great thank you to all of you who work in the food, in the front line of the food uh, chain in, in one way or another. Um, so I'm extremely grateful for you, I'm grateful for everything that, that, that you are doing and working and trying to develop for our community. Um, and your an inspiration, you really have always been an inspiration and, and, and to me and, and I'm sure to many, many others. Uh, so thank you. Um, so with that, I'll take the opportunity to formally once again thank you both, Roman and Adriana Wilcox, uh, co-owners of One Great Community, an all plant-based restaurant, and co-founders of the nonprofit Plenty for the People. Um, for sharing your, your views, your your practice, uh, your um, everything that you're doing for this notion of maintaining a culinary um, sustainability, culinary sovereignty, and culinary access. I think that's probably the best way um, to describe you here in our city of El Paso, Texas. Thank you so very much.
1: My gosh, doctor. Thank you. We love you so much. <laughs>
0: El Paso Food Voices was created by Meredith E. Abarca, Professor of Food Studies and Literature at the University of Texas at El Paso. Produced by Adrian Mesa from UTEP's Creative Studios. Music composed by Jade Jacobs. To learn more about how food practices, memories, and stories shape a city's history, culture, and its character, please visit us at El Paso Food Voices. Thank you.